morning on a beautiful day here in New Orleans. And it means a lot that you're in church today because I know that in our city there's a lot of life happening that hasn't happened in a little while, right? So a lot of people have a lot of alternatives, but you've taken the time to either tune in online, thank you for doing that, or to be in church today before you go out and participate perhaps in anything that our city is doing. And, and I just want to tell you how much it means to make sure that you prioritize being a part of your family of faith during these days. We are recovering. We're coming out of seasons of shutdown and you see the tide is turning and yet there are a lot of challenges in our world that we all are still having to work through. It matters that you commit to the right things in the season of life that's ahead and by being in church today, by saying that, hey, to you as a follower of Christ, your spiritual health matters, that's important. And as we talk about what it means to bloom as a Christian, have you ever realized that before the flowers bloom, there's this season where things are just dreary? It's winter is what it's called, right? And before you get to the spring, if you're a gardener or maybe um, you take care of your lawn or, or maybe you have some trees that you really in, enjoy, before you ever get to the bloom, what has to happen? You have to do the work that no one's going to see. Now, everybody's going to notice whether your yard's green or your trees are blooming or your flowers, and you're going to notice that. But before that ever happens, what do you have to do? You have to do some things that nobody sees before they see the result of what everyone's going to appreciate, whether it be your yard or, more importantly, our life. Now, when you think about it, there's this wonderful product out there that helps things grow. You use it in your gardens, perhaps on your flowers. There's a version of it for everything. It's called Miracle What? Now, how did you know that? How did you know what I was going to say? You see, we all know that for the fruit to come later in the spring or at a different point, you have to have a little bit of miracle grow in your life. And today, when we talk about what it means to bloom as a Christian, what it means to bloom as a person, what happens in the areas of your life that nobody sees is the key to what happens in your life that everybody will see. And, and it's the investment in private in your relationship with God that causes you in public to bloom in the way that God created you. First Peter chapter 2, we pick right up where we left off in the letter of the Apostle Peter to the Christians of his generation. And we can learn about it today in our generation as we come out of this season of life. And yes, you know what spring brings? Spring brings a little bit of optimism that you're coming out of a dreary, dry, dark, gray, perhaps season of life and something better is on the horizon. Well, the Christians of Simon Peter's generation were living in that time of persecution. They were ostracized. They were considered strangers and aliens in their culture. And yet, he had a word for them that caused them. He wasn't talking about everybody else. He was talking to those who were followers of Christ. And he said to them, this is how you're going to survive this time. And once it's over you're going to be able to shine the light of Christ to the world around you. So we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to go to verse 1, verse 15, as we work through this letter that he wrote then. And the first verse of chapter 2 says this. Listen. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander... Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also... As living stones, you are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. 
For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious corner stone. And he, she, that person who believes in him, will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they also were appointed. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. That by doing right. You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now what a word that Simon Peter would write to the Christians of that generation. And quite frankly as I read it. You are perhaps going. How relevant is that for our generation today? As the church, as Christians, as people who are seeking to make sense of our world even now. It's a very relevant letter that he would write to Christians then. Because it contains the truth that we need today as we live in our world. Our world needs prayer. I mean, you think about it. I mean, right now, um, if you look at the nature of our world... It started with divisiveness, and now you look on the other side of the globe, and, and now there's this issue of perhaps another war that's going to happen. And Jesus talked about that right before his coming, there would be wars and rumors of wars. He talked about the reality that, that the world would go from bad to worse. And we could look at that and go, oh my goodness, like, man, what do we do? But the words of truth that Jesus would give to Simon Peter, and that Simon Peter would then, throughout his lifetime as an apostle, relay to the followers of Christ, are still relevant today. And, and in this part of our world today where we look at all of the divisiveness, the anger, the frustration, but also the discouragement, the depression, the sense of down and, and death and darkness and war that's happening, there has to be hope. And the word of Christ is hope for those who follow him and those who believe in him. Thus the church, you. And today, as we look at this, there's a sense of supernatural growth that you and I need as followers of Jesus. Supernatural growth. Not, not growth that comes like the world or that's taken away by the world, but a growth that happens internally that before it is shown externally, it's occurring inside. The greatest challenge for you and I as believers and followers of Jesus is that most of the time the relationship that we have with God is kept on the inside. But what happens on the inside must be nurtured, fertilized, and must grow internally. And therefore then it must be shown and reflected externally. When I read this passage today, uh, I look at it and I kind of think of miracle grow. I think as Christians, we all need a little bit of God's miracle grow on the inside 
especially in this generation, because the world needs to see, and Simon Peter reminded the Christians then, that what happens on the inside must change what happens on the outside. Here's the life lesson if you're taking notes. I encourage you to write this down. And then we're going to take this passage and we're going to walk through the key themes that Simon Peter shares with people then that were willing to listen. The life lesson, when the people of Christ remember who they are, when the people of Christ remember who they are, they bear better fruits than the world around them. I'm going to let that soak in for just a moment because that's a challenge for me and I know that's a challenge for you. But when the people of Christ, that would be us who claim the name of Christ, who have been claimed by Christ, who by faith believe in the salvation, the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace of Christ that has been credited to our account. When the people of Christ, when they remember who they are and that affects on the inside, then it begins to allow us to reflect on the outside and bear a better fruit than the world around us. And it's a very important principle. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, I've had to make sure that like there are some trees in my yard and, and um, where I live, you know, in this region, they talk about some of the best citrus produce in the whole country, right? Um, what you have to do to produce citrus on your own trees, and I have a couple that I planted several, several years ago, you have to prune them. You have to cut them back during the winter season. You have to put out fertilize, this kind of miracle grow around them. And then when you get to the fall, you have these wonderful satsumas that my kids love to eat because they're easy to peel, right? And they're really sweet. And then we have this kumquat tree. And, and gosh, it, every year you can't make the thing not produce. It like makes more and more and more every year. Um, but to have those produce what I want them to produce, there's this work that has to be done when nobody sees it. Before you see the beauty and you're able to taste of the fruit, you have to be able to fertilize, to prune, and to allow the tree the right circumstances to grow. Our relationship with God is no different. Internally, we have to work on our relationship with Jesus. But as we do and we grow closer to our Lord what Simon Peter begins to address in chapter 2 is the exterior fruit of our lives will look different than the world around us. But it only happens when we remember who we belong to first, and that's the internal part. So here's what we're going to look at today as we break apart this passage. Number one, as we think about people who love Jesus, people who are called by the name of Jesus. We call ourselves Christians. We are part of his church Therefore, as we look at what Simon Peter would say, they are people, first and foremost, who know whose they are. As he goes back through this passage, he reminds them, let me tell you who you belong to. Now, that's very important for them, and it's very important for us today because they had a world closing in on them. And they had circumstances that were happening to them, and therefore they might have thought that as the people of God... The rules of the world were the, were the rules that owned them and controlled them. But Simon Peter actually was a man willing to give his life to death for the government of his day in the name of Jesus. And therefore he was like, you belong to somebody more important than Emperor Nero and the Roman government of that day. You belong to Christ. And as he describes Christ, he gives some phrases that I think are important to remind us who we belong to. He begins by saying to be reminded, if you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. We, as people who belong to Christ, who do we belong to? Someone who shows his children kindness. If you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord, he reminds them, then you will remember who you belong to. You belong to a Savior who is kind, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is forgiving. You belong to Christ. That's who you belong to. This passage, Simon Peter, I know being acquainted with Old Testament Scripture, it echoes one of the Psalms of David. Psalms 34 verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's kind of like those satsumas after I fertilize them, after they grow, and, and after my kids raid the tree. There's nothing sweeter and nothing finer than a South Louisiana satsuma. I'm just saying. 
taste and see that something is good. Well, he's saying to you as believers, as the church, if you've tasted of the kindness of God, it ought to remind you of who you belong to. God is kind to his children. God is kind to his people. God is good to his church. That is who you are, whose you are and who you belong to. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 verse 8 actually says, God will bless those who take refuge in him. So we don't only know that he's good, we also know that his, as his children we are what? Blessed. God is going to bless his children. A great reference that as I read this first part of chapter 2, I have this reminder, our Lord is kind. Number two, when I look at that, people know whose they are. He is a living stone chosen and precious to God. Who do I belong to? Well, I belong to Jesus. And Simon Peter goes into this dialogue about Jesus. You come to him as a living stone, which is rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. And therefore, you also are living stones being built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. When I look at who I belong to, Jesus, as a child of God in this generation, I think of what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus is all of these things. Simon Peter says he's a living stone. In other words, he is this living part of the building and the fabric of our lives. He's not a dead savior. There's no alternative to worship a dead savior. He is living and a part of building up your life. That's very important for the children of God then and the children of God to know today. Jesus is living and active inside of us and therefore he's guiding us. He is a precious stone. In other words, God valued him for our salvation. And that is the way, the alternative to escape the fragmentation, the sin, the brokenness, and the destruction of the world. God chose Jesus to be the Savior. God chose Jesus to be the one to build up the house of God, the children of God, the people of God. He is the stone that was rejected. So the alternative is you can receive the precious stone, the builder of the house of God, the one who saves our soul, the kind Savior. You can receive him or you can reject him. The Bible says he is a stone of stumbling and offense. In other words, some people will receive him as Savior and then some people will reject him and they will stumble over him. Oh, there must be some other way to God. Maybe if I'm good enough, God will love me and let me into heaven. If I do more good than bad, then maybe everything will work out. Well, maybe karma will make this work out. And that's the rock of stumbling and offense that people will trip over. You either get into the house of God and are built into the house of God by Christ, or you're not. You either go in through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. For even he said in John 14, 6, no one gets to the Father except through him. Simon Peter's echoing that for the children of God then, and it's very important for you and I today. That's who we belong to. Even today, in our fragmented world, in our challenged world, in our sinful, broken world, even as we deal with our own issues, yes, as believers, Christians, humans, people who struggle with feelings, emotions, temptations, and things of our own, even still, we belong to Christ. And that is the hope for you and I to bear fruit in the world today. Those who believe in him, the Bible says, Simon Peter says, remember this. Believers in him will not be disappointed. We belong to someone who won't disappoint us. Now, in our world, there's a lot of disappointment. And disappointment creates division. It doesn't just happen in a political or a cultural way. It can happen in your home. It can happen in your own relationships with people. That's why the chief cornerstone of every relationship that you want to thrive and prosper, every church that you want to be a part of in this world, every organization that's going to truly make a difference, 
And the foundation truly of a great nation and a great culture has to be built on the cornerstone of Christ. Why? Because he's not someone who's going to divide and create disappointment. He's someone who builds his people. And most importantly, you, Christians, the church, he builds us into the kind of people that God has created us to be. Simon Peter points this out, that for those who believe in him, he will not disappoint. Now, there's an alternative, and this alternative is clear. And by the way, as a, as a person who understands the grace of God, I don't always like the alternative. But Scripture is very clear about the alternative. He is a stone of offense and a stumbling block for those who don't believe. And if they don't believe in Jesus, of which we see a lot in our culture today happening more and more, if you don't believe in Jesus, what is the eternal outcome that's going to happen? Disappointment. <laughs> well, I thought I'd get there another way. I thought I'd get there through this venue or this opportunity or this mindset or, or this belief system. And there's one choice cornerstone for the salvation of our souls. It's Jesus, a kind, merciful, gracious, loving Savior chosen by God who would be the one who would not disappoint those who trust in him. Simon Peter does one final thing to recognize who they are, whose they are, just like today I'm reminded of who I belong to, who you belong to if you trust in Christ. And he helps them understand that they are children, sons and daughters of God, who have been claimed by his mercy and his marvelous light. They are children, sons and daughters of God, who have moved out from under judgment, out from darkness, into his mercy and into his light. Even Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And the one that trusts in me, that's the one that will really see. He even talks about how you and I have come out of darkness into the light of Christ. And how do you reflect the light of Christ? It's by the fruit that we bear. It's by the things that in our lives, as we become more like Christ, that we learn to live and reflect who we are. That's the second part of this. He not only talks about whose we are, but the people of Christ need to remember who they are. Now, I want to camp out here for just a moment because Simon Peter breaks down for that audience then, and I think it's very important for you and I today. Who are you? Do you realize who we are matters more than what we do? But who we are definitely affects what we do. If someone comes up to you and, and asks you, who are you? How do you normally define who you are? Well, I'm so-and-so and I live here. I do this job. I'm in this school. I've accomplished this feat. But is that who you are? No, that's what you do. But who you are is something more. And who you are is the greatest motivation of what you will do. Simon Peter gives some very clear definitions for who I am, you are, we are, and the people then, the church then, who they are. And the people of Christ not only know whose they are, they know who they are. Who am I? Number one, I'm a part of a spiritual house. When I receive Christ, I am a part of a spiritual house. A house that is being built by God and I have a place in it. As Simon Peter begins to talk about the Christians there, the church then, they didn't have beautiful facilities like we have today. They weren't identified by a building. They were identified by what they belonged to, the house of God, the house of Christ. And as he describes them, he says, you also are living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? How can I offer up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God? Through Christ Jesus, he says. 
You and I are a part of something greater than just a building. You and I are part of something greater than just being a part of the church. You and, I, you and I are part of a house that God is building that is spiritual in nature. And it happens on the inside. And once I become a part of the family of God by faith in Christ, I belong to the body of Christ. The only hope that the world has is for you and I, believers, Christians, to begin to live out who we are as a part of the house of God, the body of Christ. In a divisive world, the most dangerous thing for our world today is a divided church, a divided household. Even Jesus acknowledged that a house divided against itself cannot stand. It will fall. Peter even reminds them, listen, to be saved by Christ is to belong to something greater than yourself, greater than your own agenda, greater than something in the world. You are a spiritual part of a bigger house that God is building to impact this world. That's who you are. Now, we may not like that. We may not want that responsibility. But once you come to Christ, Christian, it's not just the salvation that, oh, good, I'm saved and I get to go to heaven. Heaven is second. Do you realize when heaven comes? When you die. <laughs> and none of us that I know of are rushing to get there. Now, yeah, if you're suffering, you're challenged, you're struggling. Oh, Lord, I'm ready to go home. I get that. I understand that part. A lot of people get there. But in the meantime, you're a part of building up something that matters. You're a part of reflecting and bearing fruit in this world that matters. You're a part of the holy household of God. That is meant to make a difference in the world. And not just socially good. Not just something that makes a social cause feel good. You can follow a social cause all you want. And if you lead no one to Jesus, you did nothing. Your life didn't count. You can be a part of agenda and go, gosh, I made the world a better place. But if you didn't put Jesus in the midst of that clearly, authentically, in a real way, bearing fruit as a part of the household of God, you built a house that will crumble, a house that will fall. And as Christians, that is not what would stand the test of time in a Roman Empire that would persecute them, fall, continue to persecute them. And yet, why are we here today? Why do you sit in a room today or tune in online today? Why are you still a part of something if it was going to fall apart? You see, God builds a house that's better than the world. God builds a house of people who follow Christ, who impact the world, and who can stand the test of time. You are a part of something that is more motivating, moving, life-changing, earth-changing, culture-changing than any other agenda out there. You are a part of a spiritual household being built by God. That's who you are. Isn't that good? He also calls us a chosen people. So you might be able to say, I'm God's favorite, right? <laughs> I'm a chosen person. Well, you are. Like, you have been chosen by God. And before you go patting yourself on the back going, yep, see, I'm chosen. I'm God's favorite. How are you chosen? Through a cornerstone, through a precious stone. Through a precious Savior that people stumble over, but for those who trust in Him, they're never disappointed. How were you chosen? You were chosen to enter the family of God through Christ. And that's part of the beautiful foreknowledge of God that Simon Peter talks about in chapter 1. God knows. He knows. But what He really knows is how He determined for people to enter into His household. He determined how we would get in. How we would become saved. And how did he determine that? The precious, the chief, the cornerstone that builds the whole house. His name is Jesus. And therefore, through him, we are people that have been chosen by God to receive his grace, his kindness, his mercy. We are a chosen people, he says. Chosen through Christ. Chosen as people who would make a difference. And that's where he describes us as a royal priesthood. A royal and holy priesthood, but we are a royal priesthood. Simon Peter calls us a royal priesthood. Now, now this reference 
is clearly an Old Testament reference. And you and I today won't make the same connection that the audience then would make. They were still in the midst of a sacrificial system. And to bring a sacrifice to God, it had to be presented to who? A priest. Now, this is very important for you and I today, and specifically, it's very important for the culture in which we live. As a matter of fact, sometimes people go, well, what's the difference between being Catholic or Presbyterian or non-denominational and Baptist? What's the difference between everybody? Well, this one right here is one of those Protestant belief systems, if you will, that sets you as a follower of Christ apart from those who wouldn't cling to this. Simon Peter calls you, as a child of God, saved by faith in Jesus, a royal priest. That's very important. This, this is the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. Now, this, in our culture, we can really understand this because there are titles that people have, right, in our culture. And, and some people, special people, can be a priest. Simon Peter actually breaks that whole wall down and says, because you know whose you are, let me tell you who you are. Because of the work of Christ to redeem you, to work inside of you, to save you, you now are a royal priest. Now, he wasn't writing this at a preacher's convention or a priest's convention. He was writing this to the church. He was writing this to Christians. My dear brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus, you've been saved by Jesus, he's writing this to you. So the priest is not just the holy special person that in the Old Testament was the only person that could bring acceptable sacrifices on behalf of the people to God because of Christ the veil, the wall that separated the holy people from God was torn down because of Christ. And anyone who received Christ has now open access personally to God. Guess what? You need forgiveness of your sins? Ask for it. You need a blessing in your life? Ask God for it. How do you have the access through Jesus? You need healing in your life? You are a priest before God. And as a priest before God, this is very important. Because it's kind of like in our world today. Well, the priest has a different standard. The preacher has a different standard. Well, guess what? You do too. <laughs> you are a priest in the family of God. You are someone that can offer up sacrifices through your lifestyle and your actions. You can stand out. You are someone as a follower of Jesus that not only has direct access to God, but you also can serve God in every little thing that you do. You don't have to be the professional priest. You don't have to be the priest that is only set aside for the special work in the church. Nope. This is the priesthood of every single believer who follows Christ. Simon Peter helps them see you are a royal priesthood. Royal, by the way, signifies that you belong to the royal ruling family. Another reminder of who's really in charge of our lives. Who we really belong to. You are a royal priesthood. And therefore, as a part of the priesthood who serves the royal, who do we serve in all of our life? Who do we serve? We serve Jesus. That's who we are. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Simon Peter wrote this um, before there was a United States of America and before we thought we were the only ones that mattered on the planet, right? Now, I love our country, but you can see that even in our Western civilization, sometimes we lose our way. You look around the world, you'll see that even some of the governments of the world, they lose their way. Simon Peter wrote this in the most popular and the most influential government of the known world of his time, the Roman Empire. And he said, there's a government that's better than the one we live in. There's a nation that's better than the one we live in. Hey, the Romans invented the roads to get us from 
place to place. They've invented the way to do trade amongst nations for economy. They're the ones that invented this. They're the ones that invented how to police and to be able to do it the right way. They invented part of the fabric of the way that we understand modern culture. But Simon Peter says, it'll never work. There's something better. You're a part of a holy nation. He uses the word holy. What does holy mean? Well, Simon Peter had just said in chapter 1, be holy as God is holy. In other words, set a standard to be separate and set apart for the work of God that is different than the world around you. You are a holy nation. You, as the people of God, the church of God, the followers of Jesus, you're a house and a nation unto yourself. Very important for you and I today when we process that in light of what we see in the world. Because the world wants to silence you if you follow Jesus. <laughs> they want to ridicule you if you follow Jesus. The world wants to isolate you. But Simon Peter would say to them, and it's very relevant for you and I today, in the midst of all of that, who's in charge? Jesus is. Who do you belong to? You belong to Jesus. So who are you then? You're a whole entirely different nation of people. Now, I realize that many of you, you serve our nation, and I'm very thankful for you. You serve the nation as a part of your career and your calling and your job, and you've done that, and you've done that well. You've fought conflicts, and you've sacrificed your family. You've sacrificed time, and that is a part of who you are, but a greater part of who you are is that for you who follow Christ, you belong to the nation of the family of Jesus. And that motivation allows me then, watch this, to be the best citizen that I can be in the country that I'm in. To be the best person that I can be in the place where God's planted me. To bloom in a way that reflects Christ in everything I do wherever I am. I remember one of the most influential mission trips in my life. Interesting as you watch the news today. Was to actually go to Moscow, Russia. Now, many of you have traveled internationally, and you've done that through the military or through other business opportunities, so you've seen the other part of the world. But I went to that part of the world to actually encourage pastors in the church in Moscow, Russia, and visited four Christian churches there, which weren't slammed full of people because it wasn't necessarily the Christian church as we would know it today, the Bible-following church. It wasn't necessarily the most popular thing to do there. But yet you have great, committed, Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching, God-fearing people in the nation of Russia. So when you watch the news today, and if you watch it, gosh, look at the enemy and look at what they're doing, and you'll have this sense of nationalism that pits people against people. But inside a nation is a greater nation. You're a part of a greater nation. You're a part of a greater house. Simon Peter says, look, being a Roman is one thing. Being a part of the nation of Jesus Christ, the family of God, is something totally different. The greatest calling on our lives is to remember who we belong to. And because of who we belong to, who are we? We are people that belong to the nation of Jesus Christ, a holy nation, a people that is set out for God's own possession. God's own possession. Who do we belong to? We belong to God. We are a people that has been set apart. Why? His own possession. Why? To proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is the whole calling as far as belonging to God? Why is it important that we as people remember who we are? He called us for a purpose. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people. Now you are the people. You once had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. I referenced this when I talked through this letter a while back. But this verse is a very clear reference to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is a story in the Old Testament. It's one of the prophets. The prophet Hosea, he married a lady of the evening, you would just say. And that's what he did. He married this lady who was unfaithful. And she had multiple children with other people other than him. Now immediately you're going, oh, and that's so wrong, right? And Hosea named those children. And the first one was named, not my child. 
And the second child was named No Mercy for You. Now, names meant something back then. Go look at the Bible. It's beautiful the way it's written in poetry. And it's a reference to that. And the imagery was God's people, this is what you are doing to me. God was saying through Hosea, you are playing the harlot with other nations and other gods and you are not being faithful to me, Jehovah, the Lord God. That's what Hosea's message was all about. In this one verse, Simon Peter sums up that whole thing by saying, you used to be a child that did not belong to God, but you do now. You belong to him. He has rescued you. You used to be a person living in the disappointment and the separation that only being away from God would bring. But now you are a child of my mercy. You belong to me. That one verse Simon Peter echoes there is a reference to the book of Hosea. And it's a great reminder to you and I today. We used to be that, but now we belong to him. That's who we are a part of God's chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, and his possession. And as we close, that then affects the bloom. That then affects the bloom. These two things are like the fertilizer. They're like the miracle grow. Those are the things that once they are sown into who we are, when we remember whose we are and who we are, then that affects what we do. And the children of Christ, the people of Christ, they bloom when they remember that they are people who know what to do. What does it look like to be a child of Christ? Now, somewhere in this passage, you're going to struggle with something just like I will struggle with something. But go all the way back to verse 1. And what does he say? Put aside your malice, which would be hatred. You despise someone. You struggle with something deeply. Put aside your deceit. That would be lying and that would be covering up something to get your way. Hypocrisy, well, we all know what that is. Um, the reality is that's not just limited to the church. People will use that against you. I don't want to go to church and I don't, want to, I don't trust in your God because all the people of the church are hypocrites. Everybody I've met is a hypocrite. Believers and non-believers in some way, all right? So don't take all that judgment on yourself. Continue to move forward in what you know you have to be and become as a child of God and let him take care of the rest who would accuse you of such. He says, set aside the hypocrisy, the envy, greed, lustfulness of wanting something else that doesn't belong to you, and all slander, tearing down one another. He's saying this to the church of God. That's knowing what to do. We have to put aside those things because those things don't reflect who we are as God's children. How do we do that? Verse 2, he says, you long to grow in the word and salvation. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. How do I as a Christian, how do you as a Christian, how do we as people who follow Jesus grow? The more time we spend in God's word, growing in respect to what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved by Christ, the kindness, the goodness, the mercy, the forgiveness. The more time that we grow in his word personally, the more fruit we are going to bear, the more we are going to grow in respect to our salvation, and the more we are going to reflect the goodness and the grace of Christ within us, and it's going to come out. But it happens through the word. Had a dialogue this week with someone who was talking about the different ways that people do church. And sometimes people go to church as a part of their routine. They go as a part of a ritual. And they go to church and they're given just a little bit, kind of like an appetizer, but not enough to grow. The truth is, if I feed my spirit just for a few minutes, one day a week, I'm not going to grow. There's no way. It's impossible. Simon Peter reminds them, you long for the word, for the word helps you grow. And as you grow in the word, the word gives you very clear directions on how you act, what you do, how you treat your neighbor, how you respond to those you work with, how you respond to people you have conflict with, how you treat the temple of your body, the Holy Spirit, how you do these things. The word is God's will and God's way to help us grow. 
Simon Peter reminds them that's not only the written word, that's the living word. Sometimes people will say, well, what about those who didn't have the word? Yeah, what about those who don't read the word? Well, there's the written word that reveals the living word. The living word is none other than Jesus. John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh, and we beheld him, one full of the glory of the Father. Who's he talking about in John chapter 1? He's talking about Christ. You have received Christ. And as you have received the living word of Christ within your soul, allow the spirit of Christ to guide how you act, what you do, and to allow you to bear fruit. He says that we are living sacrifices. People who know what to do, we are living sacrifices. Abstain from fleshly lust, he says, which wage war against the soul. But let your behavior be excellent among those in the world, so that even though they will slander you, because of your good deeds, they will observe them and they will glorify God in the day of visitation. We are spiritual people, spiritual house, royal priesthood, chosen. We are people who are sacrifices in our life of our behavior, what we do, how we respond with one another into our world. That matters. Why? Because big brother's watching? <laughs> no. Because we're offering a sacrifice to God. And I want to tell you something. Fitting in is overrated. Fitting in is overrated. If you want to fit in in the immorality of the culture, the disappointment that comes on the backside of that is usually more than most people can bear. If you want to fit in with the social scene, it's just a matter of time before we become the people that have aged and are not relevant anymore. <laughs> Um, or before you become on the outside of the people that then have the power in the next election. Fitting in is overrated. But belonging to the household of God, the family of God, reflecting the truth of God. Now that is something that brings fruit to God as a part of a sacrifice toward God that brings life. Life. A purity of soul, health of your mind, health of your temple, purpose to what you do, living sacrifices. People that belong to Christ are people who know what to do with what they've been given. And in this last section, he talks about honoring authority. The last verses that we read, verse 13 through 15, there's a lot that I could say about this in our generation. But if I could summarize this last part and give this to you, and I think this is a, a beautiful part to park today and to pick up next week. So you're going to have to hang on for the exciting conclusion. That means you need to come back to church or tune back in next week. But I think Simon Peter, through all of this conversation about who we belong to and who we are, therefore then affects what we do. And in this world, does it mean that you are a rug to be walked on? Something, a speed bump to be rolled over because of your faith and your following of Christ? Does it mean that you are someone to be belittled and put down? That is something that we see happening to a lot of Christians, not just in America, but around the world. What's the principle that could guide you and I to a better outcome, a better result? In the challenges that we see in the world today, what's the principle that allows us to have the attitude of Christ that is better than the world around us? Well, I sum it up by saying this. The people of Christ know what to do because they are people who seek to follow the will of God above all else. The people of Christ, they stand out because they are people who seek to follow the will of God above all else. When he writes this passage about submitting to every human institution, governors, kings, people in authority, he describes what their role is. The role of governments, kings, those in authority, is to punish evildoers. Well, what happens when a government begins to punish good doers and not evildoers? <laughs> what happens when a nation begins to call good evil and evil good? What do you do in that circumstance. What do you do when the world begins to praise what is wrong and ridicule what is right? God gives a better way. He gives a better way 
for his church, for his people, for his house, for his sons, for his daughters, for his children, for those who know who they belong to. They know who they are and therefore they know what to do. And God's way is a way in which their fruit, their actions, their attitudes give God glory in the midst of a foolish and ignorant world. He says, it's by your actions and your attitudes as you reflect Christ, it will point out who's foolish. <laughs> it will point out who's ignorant. It will point out when people have gone astray, it'll point it out. And Simon Peter, he actually was a person that would live this out. As this letter was written 64 after the death of Christ, year 64. In the year 67, the same Emperor Nero, who had imprisoned him there in Rome, in 67 took his life and the life of the Apostle Paul, who have written most of the New Testament that we have today, the Word of God that guides us into our relationship with Christ. But they actually didn't die in vain. They didn't die by starting a rebellion and upheaval. As a matter of fact, there's this great theologian named Augustine, and he actually wrote this treatise about this season of life. And he actually said, Listen, the whole Roman Empire blamed its fall and its demise on the Christians. But if you looked at the Christians, the Christians were the best examples of Roman citizens that the world had ever seen. If you looked at their behavior as they followed Christ, they were willing to take suffering and ridicule and to be put down. And they were willing to not participate in all the immorality of the culture that caused the kingdom to fall. No, if you looked at them, they were actually the best citizens. So why would you blame the fall of the world at that time on them? That's ignorant. That's foolish. Now, I can park it right there today, but I can bring that forward to you and I in this season of life. Child of God, do you know whose you are? Do you know who you are? Because once you know whose you are and who you are, that's the private work. Then that affects what you do. And what you do is the blooming part of your life. It's the part where the fruit comes out, the good comes out, the actions come out, the change occurs, the impact occurs, where you begin to live for a higher calling, a higher purpose as a royal priest in the household of God, accomplishing God's will through your life. You want to talk about making a difference? That's not really going to be talked about a whole lot in this world. You're not going to receive it from the authorities in the world today, but you will receive it from Christ. You will receive it from his word. You will receive it from a father who wants his children to do what? To bloom. So right now, even today, maybe it's still winter in your life, but after winter comes spring. Maybe in your faith, you're still working some things out with fear and trembling. Good. But remember who's in charge. Remember who you belong to. And therefore, it's not that confusing over what we're supposed to do. We shine as lights in the world. We are people that bring hope to our world. We are people whose way is different, whose words are different. And it's okay to stand out. Because in doing so, eventually, at his appearing, if it takes that long... You silence the speculation, the foolishness, and the ignorance of a world that simply will be disappointed because they stumble over the one that you haven't stumbled over. The one who saves our souls, his name is Christ, and he is the hope for this world living through me, you, us, his church. Let's bow our heads, let's pray together, and right now, perhaps, by his spirit, someone may be in this room or in our online family today. Right now, you realize you stand outside the household of God. Perhaps it's not because you're trying to be rebellious. You're trying to turn your chin up at God. You just never realize that being a part of the family of God means that it's built on one person. And that one person's not yourself. That one person is Christ, the Son of God. You've never bent the knee to Christ, the heart to Christ, the will to Christ. You've never received Jesus as your personal Savior by faith. And you've never been willing to bend the will to say, I'll follow him as his child. If that's you today, then right where you are right now, I want to encourage you. Open your heart to Jesus. And from the depth that you feel in your soul right now, I encourage you to pray. Dear God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of not listening to you and your spirit when you've called me close. 
And today, in this very moment, I want to be a part of your household, your family. I want you to save my soul and my life through Jesus. So Jesus, I believe today you are my Savior. And I ask you to cleanse me and to give me a new direction for this world and my life so that I can make a difference as a saved son, as a saved daughter, as one of your children. And I turn my heart to you today. If you've prayed that and you meant that today, then with your head bowed, more importantly, your heart humbled before God, I just want you to say thank you to him for saving you and bringing you in. For you once were no mercy, but now you are mercy. You were once not a child, but now you are a child. And let somebody know. We have a way for you to do that after church or online, but let somebody know. Don't stop short in now beginning to bloom. Now, Christians, I want to talk to you. In this world, there will be trouble. But fear not, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right now, I want you as a Christian to cling to Christ. If it's in the midst of sickness, cling to Christ. Turmoil, mentally, physically, cling to Christ. Emotionally, cling to Christ. Maybe it's fear, cling to Christ. Maybe it's an attitude adjustment or an action adjustment. Cling to Christ. For Jesus is the one that reminds us who we are. And Jesus, because of who you are inside of your church, let that begin to affect what we do. Father, I thank you for your people gathered today, your church, those who have received your word both in this house and in our online family, thank you for the clarity of how much we as your children chosen mean to you. And God, would you allow us to be the kind of people that reflect a movement out of darkness into your marvelous light and to bear your fruit to bloom in this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. And all God's people said, amen. I don't know if you were able to come by the church this past week. Um, it's kind of lit up on the outside. Um, several people sent some texts and some messages. They came by in the evening. Whoa, I actually now know that there's a church there, you know, because it's beautiful in the evening. I encourage you one night this week, take a drive by as you're out. But I want to say this, none of that happens without the faithfulness of your giving. None of that happens without the faithfulness of God's people, God's church, giving to God's work. And why do we do that for the physical house? Because we use the physical house to build the spiritual house. We use this facility. You see the new flooring, the new carpet. We're no longer on concrete. The front signage, the place is looking right. But that's just because it's us doing our best with what we have to reach out there to grow as a spiritual house, to impact our world. It affects what we do. Continue to be faithful in your giving. Uh, your tithes matter. So I know that some of you, you've gone through a great challenge. I was visiting with a young man this week that he lost his job for a season, but somehow he was able to go home and visit his family in Japan, right? And I encouraged him, you know what? If you're able to do that, continue to be faithful with what God has done for you in your life. Being faithful in your giving matters. Being faithful with your tithes, your offerings matters. Being faithful to bloom, to grow as a part of the family of God matters. And I want to encourage you even right now to do that. Some of you, you do it online digitally. Thank you for doing that. We have gentlemen in the back that will have baskets. And some of you still, as an act of your worship, you write out that check and you place it in an offering basket. Thank you for doing that. As a family of faith, we're pushing forward. We're moving ahead. We are going to be the kind of people that remember whose we are, who we are, and by golly, we're going to let it continue to affect what we do. We're not finished. We're going to continue to make an impact. And I'm ready for us not just to get back to normal, to be better, healthier, stronger, because of what we learned from even Christians long ago that Peter would write to, and he reminds us today, we are people who are set to bloom. God bless you all. Why don't you stand to your feet?
And as we finish today, let's finish worshiping our Savior, who is the one that gives us purpose in life to bloom.